Hi, you're listening to Currently Processing. It's a show about women for women. We interview brave entrepreneurs and innovators who have overcome obstacles in their lives. We get up close and personal with topics ranging from self-care tips, the importance of mental health, and the lessons they've learned on their journey. Come along. I am your host, Risha Dallas. On today's episode, we have Erica Zeldavar. I had a really hard time recording an intro for this episode. I ended up crying. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm empathetic, but it, it, I definitely had to record and delete and record and delete again, but I hope that what I say is appropriate. <laughs> Erica is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and in the recent years, she has experienced some trauma of her own. She lost her infant daughter, Verity, after 13 days after her birth. And this episode is coming out on International Women's Day, and I feel like it's very fitting. I know there are plenty of women who have had miscarriages, or women who have lost their children after their birth. And it's really sad, but it's reality for these people. They never fully get over these losses. And I hope that when they listen to this episode and they see how Erica's strength is pulling her through this devastating time, I hope that they see that they too can go on and that they feel a little less alone. And without further ado, here is the episode I recorded of Erica. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Can you tell the viewers a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Risha, so much for having me on, and I really appreciate it. Well, I'm Erica Zaldivar. I actually grew up here in, in Las Vegas, although I was born in California. I was raised here in Vegas, and I'm a marriage and family therapist. I'm currently excited to talk to you. I know we're going to cover some things about grief. I live here with my husband and our two dogs. Our daughter tragically died last year after a birth injury, and so I'm just sort of navigating the pandemic, life, grief, being a therapist, and all of that. <laughs> Sounds like a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. A lot, yeah. I really appreciate you having me on to talk a little bit about our journey. How would you describe your childhood growing up in, you said Vegas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up here in Vegas. Well, I would say it was pretty colorful. Not a dull moment for sure. Definitely had some significant traumas. My father was actually in prison most of my life. And so my mom was a single working mom and I had grew up with my siblings' kids. They were around the same age as me and just navigating all that came kind of with that, you know, mixed family and everything that that entails, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever feel like a bit of loneliness not having siblings around the same age as you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It was really fascinating growing up with siblings who were so much older than me because my sister's kids were actually you know, closer in age to me. So that was really fascinating. We used to just tell everybody we were cousins, you know, my niece and I, because she was older than me. So luckily I had her and, but yeah, it's definitely fascinating. Every time I tell people my brother's 10 years older than me and my sister's are 
18 and 20 years older than me, they say, oh, you know, they have a different parent. And I'm like, no, we all the same parents. <laughs> so yeah, it's just really unique. But my mom was a teen mom. She worked really hard and we all somehow managed. But yeah, I think they would agree kind of lonely in some of the unique experiences we all had. It was sort of similar to my upbringing because my mom was also a teen mom. I think she got pregnant around like 19 uh-huh. and she had my eldest brother and then a year and a half after had my other brother mm-hmm. and then it was like a good nine ten years until I was born and then after me was my sister but I like to think of it as batches so yeah that's true <laughs> the first pairs. batch little pairs <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm part of the second batch mm-hmm. yeah that's a good way to think of it yeah for sure so you get that their siblings were the first batch was in a different generation yeah So they're different. So I think my siblings, I don't know how that was for you with your older siblings, but oftentimes, although we felt like siblings, you know, sometimes they felt more like parents to me and they were always kind of looking out for me and, and we were raised in different, you know, generations. So we had different views on things sometimes. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. How were you in school? School, I, I really enjoyed school up until points. I struggled somewhat in my teens with a lot of depression and different things, which kind of is what opened the doorway for me to become a therapist, actually. So there were various times that I would struggle and then my schoolwork would sort of reflect that. But I did enjoy learning always. And so that's kind of why, obviously, if we don't like learning, we're not going on to graduate school. But it wasn't particularly book smart, I wouldn't say. I definitely had a hard time and had to study hard. Did you have to study hard for the counseling as well? Yeah, I I think some things that I experienced personally with what I kind of describe as like colorful childhood is we didn't have a lot of structured time, like discipline, certain things. So I was very disorganized as a child. I was out on my own very young as well. And didn't have a whole lot of structure to how I organized school. I kind of struggled with some of that. I think that's one thing in learning and seeing how other people raise their children and just how families evolve. It's kind of a privilege and advantage when you have somewhat really secure attachment in your family. I think that gives an opportunity that some of us don't always get with how we then develop with concentration and just developmental things, if that makes sense. hmm Yeah. So I struggled a little bit with some of that. I was up late nights doing papers a lot because I was a procrastinator, but I got it done. (laughs) I know the pain. I know the pain. (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, I I did it. That's what matters. Yeah. College for me wasn't the best either. Mm -hmm. High school was kind of difficult. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of AP? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a program that's above AP. It's mm-hmm. kind of like college preparatory mm-hmm. and it kicked my ass. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't get much sleep. I maybe like average like three hours of sleep a night. Mm-hmm. Plus when you're a teenager, you kind of just want to stay up for whatever. Yeah. And yeah. I have hormones or feelings. Yeah. I don't know about you. I mean, I used to fall asleep in class all the time and that was, you know, the worst because <laughs> I didn't sleep. So Yeah. There was a certain point where I was just nodding off. Like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. by the time that I was in college, I was tired. Mm-hmm. And when you're away from home or away from people that you know, you're a little lonely because I was happy to be away. But 
it's just being in a different environment that's like, okay, I have to get used to this type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment for sure. So when you're counseling someone, how do you vet the people? Do they vet you? Are you on websites? Yeah, that's a a great question. I love that question because I think it's so unique for each counselor. For me personally, my clientele mostly comes from word of mouth, although I do have a website. I'm not currently accepting new clients, so I don't do a ton of like marketing or anything at this time. But they essentially kind of get vetted to me in a sense because typically the people I'm working with really are compatible with my style and know me and then they feel comfortable to like refer me to their friends or something like that. Right. So one thing I always, I always do like a consult call when I do take new clients and sort of let them know my goal is that they get the support that they need. Therapy isn't a one size fits all cookie cutter approach. It's Mm -hmm. really important that you have a really good rapport with the therapist you're working with because you're hiring them and you need to feel safe with them and really like that's going to be a healing relationship. So that's something very important to me that I always communicate to people when they reach out to me. That's kind of my really important in the field. I say, if I can't get you the support you need, please let me give you some referrals. That's not personal to me. I want to make sure you get where you need to be, you know, Mm -hmm. so that they don't give up on therapy, so to speak, and, and say, well, that didn't work for me kind of thing. Yeah. If you had to describe your style, like your therapy style, Mm -hmm. what three words would you use? Mm, Well, I'm definitely a very humanistic type of therapist in regard to I really want people to feel that they can relate and that they're seen as a whole human. And I'm really looking at their life history, individual interests, personality, all of that's really important. And I try to bring quite a bit of humor into therapy and allow people to lighten some of the darkness and laugh at ourselves. And I do have kind of more of a coaching style. I like people to feel like they have tools that they can, you know, realistically implement into their lives that are not necessarily what I think is best for them, but that they're actually going to use. Have you ever had a patient who was very similar to you personality wise? Yeah, I do have quite a A few people that get drawn to me that are very similar to me or have similar backgrounds. And I think that's kind of by nature. Like we want to speak to somebody we would relate to, right? And and kind of feel like, oh, you too? Okay. Like I don't feel so bad about sharing these things then. And so we're taught as therapists to not self-disclose and things like that. And I think that's important to an extent. However, there are times where I do share some of my very personal experiences from my past or relationship experiences so that people can know, oh, hey, this is my therapist. She's also a human being, though, and she actually has been through something like that. And, you know, I think that's actually very helpful. But people are typically, I would say, drawn to who they might relate to. So I think people do end up being kind of similar, right? Yeah. Do you think everyone can benefit from a bit of introspection? Yeah, definitely. I think that's super important in all areas of our lives to reflect and think about what we want, how we are at different times of our lives and, you know, what's working, what's not working in that way. I think introspection can be really valuable to move us through this challenging world. (laughs) How was 2020 for you? Oh, 2020 was heavy. It's been a rough couple of years for me personally, as it has been for a lot of people, you know. So I was a therapist, obviously, in the pandemic. And then my fiance and I had our wedding planned and we had to cancel it because of COVID. 
And that was pretty sad, but we were able to have an elopement and it it did work out really beautifully and we have great memories from it. So it's kind of started there. And then I was pregnant at the time with our first daughter, Verity. And so I was very isolated. The vaccine hadn't come out. And so I was working a lot. It was really interesting as a therapist to be observing all the grief and fear that my clients were holding at the beginning of the pandemic and all the way through now and how that affected them, their relationships. So yeah, 2020 was definitely a heavy year in my home. And this has been sort of an extension of that as it's not really a lot has shifted from that a little bit. We're still navigating this pandemic, right? So Mm -hmm. I started virtual therapy in March of 2020 and I did not like it at first. I was really resistant. I had a beautiful office. I love seeing my people in person, being able to give them a hug. And so that was really hard for me, but I've adjusted quite well and now kind of found some silver linings in the telehealth therapeutic setting. And it's worked out. My clients, I think, have also adjusted quite well, thankfully. What has been the biggest difference between telehealth and in-person therapy for you? Yeah, well, I think initially I was like, well, am I going to be able to really connect with somebody energetically and create one of the, the things about when you have an office is I can create and kind of control the environment, right? Like I have my essential oils going, I have music on, I have dim lighting, really, you know, a space that I worked really intentionally to create. Now, if my client is at their home and they might have other people in the home or, you know, I can't control the environment as much. Maybe somebody's going to ring their doorbell or, you mm-hmm. know, things. And so I do try to tee them up to an extent to say, hey, let's make sure you really have a safe space, that you have privacy, going over HIPAA, making sure they have compliance with their own privacy, but I can't guarantee it on their end, right? So that's been kind of the biggest differences, but for the most part, it's worked out okay with the occasional technology, Wi-Fi glitch, (laughs) frustration, right? Yeah. What has in your life been the most difficult to deal with so far? Oh, well... That's definitely going to have to be the death of my daughter, for sure. I had, you know, some significant traumas prior to going through that. I would have kind of said I'd hoped the worst was behind me prior to that. And I had to get rudely awakened with that experience. And I'm still really, you know, it's 10 months since she died. And I'm still really in the depths of exploring this new life after surviving child loss. It's really a very gruesome, eye-opening, nerve-wracking experience, heart-wrenching. And it's definitely changed who I am at my core. I hope to continue to have things that I learn from this experience, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone. That's for sure. That's, yeah, it's where I'm at. Yeah, it's definitely a club no one really wants to be a part of. Lost Moms is sort of like the shittiest club ever, they call it. (laughs) And it's very accurate. Yeah, it's very stigmatized, very... Nobody wants to talk about the fact that babies and children die. It challenges our thought that we have control. And unfortunately, we don't as human beings. That makes us as individuals very uncomfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you ever like grow up? religious or spiritual? I've definitely always been very spiritual. My mom is genetically Jewish, culturally Jewish, and then my dad was Christian, but they didn't raise us very structured with religion per se. My mom always encouraged me to explore everything, which I really appreciated. She really let me 
kind of question things. And I think that's really important as a child. And that really helped me sort of find my footing, which I would say I'm still figuring out. I don't know that I have an aligned specific religion, but I'm definitely very spiritual, open to lots of things and respect lots of faiths, practices, rituals. So a little different than a lot of people. Are the holidays a bit different for you? Yeah, we sort of, my husband sort of feels the same about religion as I do. We don't really particularly align with structured religion, organized religion per se, but we really like ritual. So we kind of do our own thing. Say, for example, we do celebrate Christmas and had planned with our daughter to celebrate Hanukkah and some different things for the sake of community, for the sake of ritual, connection, practice in that kind of way. So I would say we like those things about the holidays. <laughs> we don't really like the consumerism aspect of holidays per se, but we like to support small businesses <laughs> like yours. <laughs> Do you ever feel around the holiday times more people want to see you in therapy or is it less people want to see you? Hmm. Actually, it's kind of a mixed bag because people will have their normal schedule. Like people who work with me typically see me on a somewhat regular basis, whether that's once a month or every two weeks or once a week. And they will have sort of their regular times. And then for some people, it ends up being they get really busy and flustered. And then so they'll kind of cancel. And then I'll have another handful that is like kind of in crisis because they're triggered by their family. So it usually works out. It's sort of like a mixed bag of a flow there. I've learned as a therapist, I actually just usually take a full two weeks off because typically people rush in in January because they're like, all right, I'm triggered by my family. I'm going to need to talk to my therapist. Let me get in after the holidays. You know, So mm-hmm. usually I get a big flood after the holidays a bit because people have a little bit more downtime. And in particular, in the last couple of years, have been a little bit more isolated. So they've been reflecting a little bit more and kind of in their own experience. And then they, you know, want to kind of process and, and go through things and start working on things. As you were going through your grief, did you find that your friendships were affected? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's one of those things that I I really wouldn't have prepared for. And we kind of identify as what we call like secondary losses, right? Um, I'm sure you've experienced that at some point throughout your life, but of losses that we just don't anticipate that are sort of secondary to the initial loss. Like my daughter died and I didn't anticipate certain relationship dynamics to not be able to just kind of go with me where I was. And by that, I mean, when I was really in a dark place and not able to maintain a lot of connection or communication or not able to attend family gatherings or events or different things like that, that not everybody would be able to handle that and not take it personally or understand what I was doing. You know, like when I lost a a very close friend, actually, unfortunately, and I'm coming to peace with it at this point. But yeah, definitely it does change your relationships, I would say, because I think it's also very hard for the people who love us. I think some of my best friends, I, I feel for them as well, because quite frankly, they didn't know how to support me and I didn't know how I needed to be supported. This wasn't something I'd ever navigated before and most haven't. And so it was really heavy. And we kind of had to say, I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but we'll figure it out together, you know? And so mm-hmm. the relationships that have really stayed and stuck with me through the storm were the ones who were able to be flexible. And I know that's not easy. And then some have gotten so much closer and then I have new friends that I would have never anticipated that I talk to on a regular basis that are 
I know will be lifelong friends, you know, so it's just been very, very fascinating to observe for sure. Has your grief taught you something about yourself or about other people? Yeah, definitely. I think grief sort of, I've talked a lot about this with some fellow lost mom friends that grief sort of cleans house in a sense of like, I give the example of if I was this tree, grief comes and I would say trauma as well. Some traumatic grief like I experienced just kind of comes in and shakes the shit out of this tree. And it's like anything that is not just rooted and (laughs) able to hang on, it's going to rattle. So relationship dynamics, confidence, grief, I think in particular has taught me that I have to allow what is in every moment and I cannot judge it fight it, resist it, any of that, because it needs to do what it's going to do. And I have to just be with what's there in every moment, moment to moment. It's absolutely not linear. I think people think of sometimes like grief as like something we heal from. And though I do think that things evolve, shift, and somewhat change, I do think there are some things we never quite will ever quote unquote heal from we just sort of carry with us. So I think grief has taught me that to be adaptable, to be open, you know, to be cracked wide open for sure. I think it's definitely still teaching me a lot, I would say. I think that I will never be to a point where I'm done grieving the death of my daughter. I think it's just going to change as every year passes. So it's teaching me in that way that it's going to have to be a part of my life when I have to make time for my grief and honoring my daughter's life and how how she changed me as well. Do you think that time heals all wounds? I'm assuming not because it sounds like <laughs> what you were saying was the exact opposite. Yeah, no. Even before going through what I went through with my daughter, I really felt very strongly about I dislike that statement. And I'll tell you why. So I have often said to clients when a friend shared with me a long time ago, I was going through a really bad breakup and she had seen me sort of maybe on, you know, a year later. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing so much better. And yeah, time just really helped something about that, like time. And she was like, sweetie, time didn't do anything but pass. You put in the work. And I was like, wow, that's thanks. That's so true. (laughs) And because that was hard work to get through that. And so I use that statement a lot to tell people that unfortunately, if you think time is going to heal your generational trauma, anything that you're struggling with, unfortunately, although time may soften some things, I do think it kind of partners with us. I think we really have to show up and be very present in our life and intentional about our own journey, time's just going to pass. So it's kind of up to us to say, how are we going to partner with time, in my opinion, of what we're going to do and go from there? I like that answer. (laughs) Thank you. It's, yeah, the time realistic. (laughs) Yeah. The cliches really get to me. I kind of cringe and I'm like, oh, (laughs) when people say those sort of accolades or different things like that, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's true love, let it go. Sort of get in under my skin. Yes. Yeah. That. (laughs) Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I could go on and on about some of those. (laughs) Very last question. Since the show is called Currently Processing. Yeah. Yeah. The title. (laughs) Thank you. What are you currently processing? Yeah. Well, there is a lot, I would say. I'm definitely still currently processing the death of my daughter and all of that trauma that came with with that tragedy. 
And I think I'm going to be processing that for for my whole life, you know, but it's still a big thing as we're kind of come creeping up on the season of her first birthday and to be processing that she would be turning one and she's not here. And that's really, it's really heavy. And we're not quite sure my husband and I, how we're going to navigate that just yet. In addition to that, we are also newly pregnant again. And it's a very scary time because as with comes pregnancy after loss, a lot of fear. Obviously, my daughter died full term during labor. There's no like safety zone per se, you know, in regard mm-hmm. where people think, oh, you get past first trimester, you're safe. And then I had to brutally learn and that's not the case at all. And then later meet all these other women and families who were just devastated and destroyed by loss in similar ways as well. And realizing, wow, we don't talk about this as a society at all. There's no room for families going through child loss very much at all. And so processing that and how like this next season of my life is going to look because this has really challenged me in my career as a therapist, trying to hold space for others while navigating one of the heaviest things somebody could ever go through. (laughs) And so it's really forced me to take a step back with my career that I worked so hard for. And I really love being a therapist. And I had to say, I'm going to have to take a step back. You know, like I said, that's the reason I'm not accepting new clients so that I can really fully show up for the people who are already um, on my caseload. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like moving forward. It's going through what we went through really changed my priorities a lot where I used to just want to see as many clients as I could, although self-care always was a thing for me. Now I really have to be really mindful and it's kind of hard. I'm processing how (laughs) I'm going to navigate that as a person to respect my career. If I'm going to take some time off, should this baby be healthy and born? And that's kind of on my mind a lot and what that's going to look like for our family, for sure. It's like a gentler approach to our sort of hustle, fast-paced, goal-oriented society. I'm sort of opposite of that right now. So, yeah, it's a lot currently processing. <laughs> I love the name of your podcast, though. <laughs> I feel like I need to do a part two to this. Because I feel like this one was more what you lost. And I feel like uh-huh. the next one should be what you gained. Sure. Yeah, I'm all for it. I really appreciate you creating space for people to share openly about and honestly about their journeys. I think that's really helpful for reducing the stigma of so many things and just about sharing openly. And I think in my experience, more of us want to be seen through others and their real experiences. We don't want the highlight reel, you know, so with the Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I definitely would love to join again sometime. And thank you so much for chatting with me and caring about our story and about grief and mental health. It's all so close to my heart. And I just really, really appreciate it. I I love your business. Obviously, I'm a supporter. I love I'm looking at my budding romance candle right now on my desk. So (laughs) and I want to thank you for opening up and sharing something that most people don't want to share. But I feel like with you speaking, other mothers will feel the desire to speak their truth as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you. That's definitely my hope. It's definitely something I've gotten lots of messages over this last 10 months of thanking me for sharing what I do because they just don't quite feel comfortable. And and so if it's some of us who end up sharing on behalf of others, then, then so be it. And I hope other people do feel more comfortable over time to share their experiences for sure. I want to thank everyone for listening. You can follow Erica on social media. All of her details will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, consider becoming a subscription member, sharing it with a friend, or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Currently Processing Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon.